you can see this right at the end of verse 5, where the psalmist says, I hear a language I have not known. I hear a language I have not known. Now, many commentators think that this is the psalmist uh, speaking about Israel's Exodus experience. You know, there's the psalmist that you mentioned in the Thank you. 
salvation that we have in Christ. Is there anything more important than to celebrate our salvation and to listen to the living voice of God himself? But here's a question, friends. Can joy be commanded? Can joy be commanded? Can emotion be commanded? What if I'm not feeling particularly joyful in my life? And does this command still apply to me? And you know, the world will tell us that we can't do anything about our emotions. And so we should just do whatever our emotions tell us. Is that true? And so, for example, if you fall in love with another woman who is not your wife, then to be true to yourself, uh, you need to leave your wife and go with the one uh, who you have feelings for. You don't feel particularly enthusiastic about your job, then just leave and find something else and be fulfilled. If you don't feel particularly joyful in your Christian life, then you don't need to gather with other Christian people. But just do what you feel like. And that's the world of Christ. So I want you to see that God is a very different view. Have you ever noticed how much the Bible commissions our feelings? You see, our God is a God who commands even our emotions. So that even if we are not feeling particularly joyful in our Christian lives at times, the command is to gather together with God's people to listen to the voice of God and to celebrate. The salvation that we have. But you will find that if you faithfully obey God in this area, then God will train your emotions over time and joy in the salvation that you have. See, God doesn't command His people together, it's because you know, he, gathered, he commands His people. For their joy, so that they might learn to be joyful. That's a bit like a cleaning fork. Has anyone ever seen a cleaning fork before? It's one of those things where you tap um, and it, it makes a, a musical note. And uh, what you do is um, you tune your instrument uh, to that particular note that your cleaning fork is giving off. Gathering together with God's people is a bit like that. As we gather, as we listen to God's word, and as we are reminded of His great salvation for us at the cross, when we tune our hearts to God Himself, so that we might grow in our joy and in our delight and in our pleasure in God Himself. As we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that speak of God's love for His people at the cross, we tune our hearts so that we will love God all the more and be satisfied in Him. Do you know this joy that comes as we regularly gather with God's people as we listen to His voice? 
actually sees uh, part two of this psalm. Well, uh, you can see that, that in verses 6 to 8, so 6 to 10 rather, God himself speaks to his people in the first person. Here is God speaking to his people in the midst of the feast of Jews. And what does God say? Well, first thing, he reminds his people of the salvation he has won for Israel in freeing them from slavery and the Pharaoh in Egypt. And in verse 6, he says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden, your, of the burden. your hands were freed from the basket. But further, notice that God reminds his people that they are not simply freed from their slavery and misery and burden, just to live any way they chose. No, they are free in order to listen to God and to live His way. And that's why in verse 7, God reminds them of the time He spoke to Israel as, his, as well as His gracious provision. Uh, where He says in verse 7, In distress He called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Of every other God. 
things have been friends. Uh, it's not as though God gives his commandments, which demands exclusive worship and loyalty, because God is not somehow full of ego. It's not as though God gives his commandments because he's a pure boy and doesn't want his people experiencing other things. Right, it's because God knows that his people only find true satisfaction when they worship him to the exclusion of every other God. As you see there in the wonderful phrase of verse 10, have a look at me at verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, says God. A wonderful picture, isn't it? It's, uh, it's that picture of a baby bird in a nest, um, opening its big wide, hoping that someone will feed it. And uh, along comes its mum or dad and you know, drops a big fat, juicy worm uh, into its beak so that this little bird can be spared and nourished and satisfied. This is exactly what God does for His people who listen to His word and He feeds them, He nourishes them, He satisfies their hunger and thirst that they have in their hearts. And so, so one of the great things about messages like this is that it gives us a valuable insight into what human beings like you and me are really like. Human beings are really lovers at heart. See, we gravitate towards things we love and desire and hunger and thirst for in the hope that these things will satisfy us deeply in our hearts. The great mistake that many of us make, which um, is a bit of a hangover from the period of enlightenment, is that we think of ourselves primarily as thinkers. We think that the mind is the most important thing about us. And so we think that if we can just get our thinking right, then everything else will follow, and our lives will follow. But that's not actually true, is it? I mean, how many times have we got our thinking right in Bible studies and then gone home and found that we are so very slow to change? How many of us know lots of things in our heads about God and that our minds are all adjusted and right, but struggle daily to live out the things that we know in our heads? That's not that thinking is unimportant in the Christian life, but the Bible teaches us that um, it is so important that we are renewed in our thinking. But what the scriptures remind us is that we are not primarily thinkers, but we are lovers. We are ultimately driven by the things we love much more than the things we think about with our brains. Our hearts chase after the things we love and desire and hunger and thirst for in the hope that that thing will give us ultimate satisfaction. That's why it's not just religious people who worship. You see, for everyone is a worshiper. 
speaking out of fairness. What are the idols that you and I are going to worship in our lives? And these things really deliver into you the satisfaction that they promise. Now listen to what one commentator uh, says about idols. He says, uh, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in your life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel happy. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid. A fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil and sinful, which they are, but it is that they are unconscious. They are default settings, you see. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into. Getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. It's true. Not loving God, but loving idols. Not listening to God, but listening to oneself. Does not bring deep peace and security and satisfaction. But it leads to completely the opposite. And will one day lead to the ultimate judgment of God. For the worship of created things over the Creator is deeply offensive to God. It's a great tragedy because God desires His people to love Him and listen to Him. And the promise is that God will protect His people and deeply satisfy them. You see, there in the final part of our psalm in verse 13. Uh, verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cling toward him, and his fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. God desires to satisfy you. So, friends, what hope is there for people who do not listen to God? The psalm ends very pessimistically, doesn't it? It ends on a note of tragedy with the people of Israel not listening to God and under His judgment. But many hundreds of years after the writing of this psalm, and you might have noticed this in our New Testament reading this morning. There was one Israelite who was at the feast of Booths, who stood among all the people of Israel, and this one was one who listened to the voice of God. And this is what's written about him in John chapter 7, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now, on the last day of the feast, that is the feast of Booths, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried 
anyone first, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said about the Spirit, and the, those who believe in him will yet to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, Jesus here is presented as the only one among God's people at the feast of beings who listen to God. In fact, he listened to God all the way to the cross when he died for people like you and me who so frequently fail to listen to God in our idolatry. And the promise that Jesus gives here is that all who believe in him will be given the Spirit of God Himself who will quench any thirst and desire of the heart in a way that begins now and endures for all eternity. How will the Spirit of God do this? Well, what is the role of the Spirit? The role of the Spirit is to give us new hearts, isn't it? The role of the Spirit is to give us new hearts so that we might turn to Jesus and find forgiveness and life in Him. And the role of the Spirit is to turn in our hearts to God's Word so that we might listen to Him and that we might obey Him and that we might be deeply satisfied. So, my brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian person, has the Spirit of God living in you, and all Christian people have the Spirit of God. Will you listen to God's Word? Will you make God's Word more and more a part of your life as you start the new year in 2021? For some of us, it might be joining a growth group where you can gather with other Christians in our church family to listen to God's Word and encourage each other. For others, it might be finding a one-to-one partner to grow in listening to God's Word. For others of us, it might simply mean committing to reading the Bible more for ourselves to see. Uh, last year, I worked my way through uh, a Bible reading chart. I never tried to do that before. It's a Bible reading chart that takes um, you through the whole Bible in a year. Uh, I must confess, I didn't quite make it. <laughs> Um, I think I was through about three quarters of the Bible uh, last year. But that's not really what is important. What is important is that I spent time listening and praying that by God's Spirit, He would help me to live His way and be satisfied in Him. God desires to save people to be a people who listen. So we will listen. You listen this year. You gather with God's people this year so that you can listen. Not because of my obligation, but because you know that this is the way to be satisfied. That's not true. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who is not silent and coming. Like the idols of this world, 
not so much, but deliver so little. But you are a God that powerfully speaks to your people and deeply satisfies your people. Thank you that in the gospel you have spoken a word of grace that has brought us from death to life and that you promise us real joy and real satisfaction that starts now and endures for all of us. Father, we are sorry for the times when we have failed to listen to you. Forgive us and help us by your Spirit to be the people to get right in your word. Help us to be regularly committed to gathering together to hear your voice and to encourage one another in our Christian lives. And help us to be those who are committed to reading your word so that we might be fed and nourished in our souls. And as we do so, we pray, Father, that you would deepen our faith in our Lord Jesus, so that in him we might find all our joy and delight and satisfaction. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.